um, and just kind of get our hearts right and kind of get grounded a little bit um, so we know that uh, God's speaking into our lives a little bit today. If you're visiting with us or you're listening online, this is an opportunity um, for you every week. And honestly, this may be the most important thing that happens at church is that you get a moment to remember that you're not in charge. <laughs> um, maybe more important than what I'm about to say, maybe more important than any of the songs or any of that stuff, is that you and God get a moment where you realize He's in charge. And if you miss that, you miss the most important part of church. So we don't want to miss that. That's why I'm saying it so clearly right now so that you hear it. Because nothing else I say matters if you don't realize or if you don't even give God a chance um, to speak into your life. So Let's do that. Whatever you brought in, whatever you got going on, the Reynolds family's uh, here, and a lot of us feel like Reynolds families, even if our last name isn't Reynolds or something there related because of Jack's death. And um, we had a celebration of life for him yesterday, and it was wonderful, and it does feel happy, and at the same time, there is that real pain. And if we're not careful, that kind of supersedes anything God wants to do in us. So if you're here and you got a little of that going on or something else, give this an opportunity. Some of you are mad. You're just mad. When I hugged you this morning, I felt it. I saw it. You're mad. Hopefully not at me, but maybe. Um, mad at somebody. Mad at God. Mad at the world. Mad at your mom. Mad at your dad. Mad at somebody. I don't know. But that will mess you up today. That, that anger will mess you up. It'll keep you from hearing what God needs to hear. So whatever you got, put that on pause this morning, would you? So you can hear from God. Let's do that this morning. Just a quick moment to be quiet, and then we'll jump right in this morning. God, we do stop and just remember for a moment that we're not in charge. As I've been preparing this sermon series, it just it kind of changes even the way I pray in this prayer right now. God, you don't need me to say good words. You don't need me to put together some kind of an eloquent way of talking. All you need is for me to open my heart because you already know what's in it. So all the things that I feel right now and all the things that are felt in this room, would, would you just soothe us? Would you just calm us? Would you give us the perspective that comes with knowing that you're in charge and that we're not? And that in the end, love wins. In the end, what you're most concerned with is not us obeying the rules, but it's us being led to you. So today, would you be honored by the way we listen? Would you speak into our lives, whatever that means, however that looks, and we'll be ready in your son's name. Amen. Well, this sermon series, Rewonder, comes right out of my life right now. Um, I, I don't know about you, I'm in a place in my life, and I don't know if it's a phase in my life, or if it's just, if, it, if it's a habit I'm developing, but I have found that I have lose perspective often on my life. I'll come to the end of the day, and the things that matter most in my life, the things that if you ask me right now, John, what are your top priorities? The things that are at the top of the list, I have given the least amount of interest and weight and attention to. 
and the things that are at the bottom of the list, in fact, the things that I kind of don't like at all, I've given all my life to. And this happens to me all the time. The kids finally go to bed. We get them in the bed. I yell at Reese. I said something to him just before he went to bed because he wasn't doing something that really didn't matter anyway. And he went to sleep. Everybody's asleep. And then I have a moment of, boy, I love my family. Yeah, I forgot to tell my face and my heart and my mouth and them. This happens to me all the time. And my guess is I'm not alone. So this sermon series to me, which will run us through next week into Father's Day, um, and then we'll start another series. But this has been, the word is catharsis, and it's just this release. It's this this moment for me. Um, so if, if you get something out of it, that's great. I hope you do. I'm hoping we're, we struggle with some of the same things, and that's what this is. But some of this, the reason I brought a whiteboard up here today and the reason I, I want to talk to you um, a little more in detail about God today is because it has helped me so much with this problem in the past few weeks. I still have the problem, and I'm still dealing with it on a regular basis, but I think what God wants me to do is get better every day at remembering what is most important and putting it in the right place in my life. And when we get perspective on him, it changes everything. I've called this sermon, this sermon series Rewonder. Um, I made that word up. Um, but it's based on the word wonder. And here's what the word wonder means if you look at the dictionary. It's a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. I worked on that word so I didn't mess it up. Inexplicable. I, I, it's something in your life that makes you go, What? makes you go, wow. And and the truth is, you were born with that. When it comes to God and when it comes to creation, you were born with amazement. You were born with awe. You were born with what the Bible calls and what we've translated in English as the word wonder. It's this moment where you just look at what God has done and you get perspective and you go, wow. That is huge. That is big. That is amazing. And the God that did that cares about me and loves me and we go wow but the truth is the older we get the more the world starts to beat that out of us and i'd like to call that unwonder it's when we start to do life without any sense of anything else than what's in front of us it's the thought that your to-do lists and the what what's on tomorrow's calendar is really what's truthfully most important and the only thing you see and it leads you to this pessimistic cynical view of life and i know it because i've been there and i fight it on a regular basis but the truth is when people ask jesus hey what should we be like if we want to go to heaven because this is what people always wanted to know and jesus never gave them a straight answer because it's just not that's not the issue but jesus said you want to know what it takes to be where god is to be like god and to be around god yeah 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 what's that take he goes you need to be like a child You need to be like a child. Oh, so you need to not know very much? No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, so you need to just trust everybody? No, that's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying you need to be in awe again. You need to wonder again. You need to sit and be amazed with no words to describe what you're feeling and what you're seeing. So I wanted to get us back there. And I want to start today in the beginning You know, it's one of the most known phrases in all of our culture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of the Bible, it's actually a poem. It's an ancient Eastern poem. It's a Near Eastern poem written by a Hebrew 
poet. And it starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the interesting thing is that the Bible wasn't written in English. Many of you know that. Was, this part of the Bible was actually written in Hebrew. And it's a word that we, that we don't really have a, a perfect translation for. We've actually translated the word God, but it looks like this. I'm going to use this, this today. We're going we're to track this out. The word looks like this in English. E-L-O-H-I-M. It's pronounced this. Elohim. Let's just say it. Will you? One, two, three. Elohim. It's kind of cool. See, we don't have a translation for it in English. So instead of in the beginning, God, it's in the beginning, Elohim. Sounds cooler, doesn't it? See, part of the problem with you and me is that we have a picture of God that isn't accurate. Part of the problem with you and me is when we read in the beginning, God, we picture a guy with a white beard who may be tall, usually wearing something white, and has a big staff or something he could beat you over the head with if you're not obeying. And we picture this when it comes to Genesis. But the word Elohim, the actual Hebrew word that this poet uses, doesn't look anything like that. This word means something like an energy. It's a, it's a, it's a being that doesn't exist in the same way you exist. In the same way I exist. It's a being that always was. It's a being that always has been. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's a being that doesn't look like you exactly, but kind of does. All of this means with, with Elohim. And, and so as, as we get through the first uh, verse in that, in that scripture, in the beginning, Elohim created. And the idea of created is this word, barah. Let me hear you say, barah. One, two, three, barah. You gotta, ah, you gotta like cough up something when you say it. Barah. And this is not create. I don't like that translation. Because you know what? Last week, John, in the beginning of last Saturday, John created a really lame thing in his garage in order to hold my wood so it doesn't fall every time somebody kicks it, you know? I created that. And then somehow we use the same word in English to say that Elohim created, but he didn't create like I do. See, I had to go to Lowe's, and I had to go to Lowe's three times in the same day. You know what I mean. You go, and you don't get it, and you go back, and you don't get it. And when you finally build it, you're like, eh, it kind of is doing this now, and it didn't really what, it's not really what I pictured. I never do what God did. See, I have to go to Lowe's and buy the stuff. God just went, trees. Elohim, barah, barah is not created like we create. It's not take some things that Elohim that created originally and put them together to make something. This is from nothing. Elohim, barah. It's cool, isn't it? So, on the first day, Elohim said, there's too much darkness. Let there be light. He didn't say, let us go to Lowe's, to the third aisle down on the right, and pour out all the bins of the, like, the PVC pipes because people have messed them up, and try to figure out which parts go together. He just went, light. And to this day, we have no idea exactly how light works. He said, light. And then he did something that would, he would do over and over and over again throughout history. He said, light, and then he stepped back. And... The poet said, and he said, man, that's good. Like, I, I'm, I'm good at this thing. 
My barah is good. But that's not enough. And so if you look at these, and I wrote them down here so you would see them today. Light is on the first day. On the second day, he created sky. And, and I'm not here today to talk about whether or not these are literal seven days. I, I'm, I don't even want to talk about that right now. This is definitely a, some poetry that, that the writer is using here to explain to us how the world was created and how God did this. I don't know what it all means literally, but I want to pick it apart from a very, very different kind of a point of view, and that is how it relates to you. And when God created light, he created something that was for you. And the second day, he stood back and he said, now I, I need sky, I need to separate the land. Land. And I, I want sky. So he created sky, which was more complicated than light. And if you look at this list, I wanted you to see it because things just keep getting more complicated for God. He creates something, he's like, that's good, but <laughs> I can do better. So he creates sky. And then, then he creates the land and the seas and he separates them. If you've ever been to the ocean, you know, oh my gosh, can you imagine the day that all of a sudden the water rushed in? And Elohim, barach, the water and the seas. And on the third day, then we get the poet say, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning. It was like a refrain, and Rick has got to appreciate this as a, writer, as a music writer. This is a refrain. It's something you say over and over to get, get the message across to your audience. There was evening and there was morning. There's a rhythm to what God does. There's a rhythm to what God's doing in your life and in our world right now. There was evening and there was morning. Now, if you were telling this story, you would say, well, there was morning and there was evening. God does it differently. He says, there was evening and there was morning. And on the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. What's interesting about this whole story is, if you're going to be real literal, and I'm, I'm going to try not to be today, if you're going to be real literal, how do we know there was one, two, three days before the sun? Because the sun is how we know there are days, right? So I don't, this is what I mean. I don't think in this case that Moses or the writer of this piece, that this, that this uh, artist and this poet is trying to tell us a literal understanding of how God built the days. Because this wouldn't make sense. He says it was the fourth day before we got to the sun, the moon, and the stars. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God stood back again and he said, this is good. And then he built things that were really complicated. So if you thought that was amazing, now he's going to start building things that have brain chemistry, that have little neurons that fire, that we still have no idea. We still can't figure out how all this stuff works. So he builds some birds and he builds fish. And he makes all different kinds of them, and we still can't catch them. And we, we just we can't figure out how they all work, and their brain changes, and we change, and everything changes. And God makes these really complicated things on the fifth day, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And then he says, the birds and the fish, you ain't seen nothing. See, up till now, on the, on the fifth day, God has created physical things. He's created things that you can touch, things that you can hold, things that you can see, things that are very physical, tangible, palatable kinds of things. And then he says, I want to create all kind, different kinds of animals on the sixth day, and I can even do better than that. I want to create something new. I want to create a human. And the thing about a human is, it's different than an animal. Because where an animal is physical, and I know those of you who are cat lovers and dog lovers, you might argue with me here, but the way that the Bible talks about this is that, that dogs and cats, they're still very physical. And I don't know what that means about whether they're going to heaven. I think they probably will if we need them there. But the truth is, you were built differently than your dog and your cat. God said, I want this to be the very first thing in history that is not just physical. 
It is also spiritual. There is a different depth to a human. It has a soul in the deepest part of who it is. It's not even physical. It's really just spiritual. So he goes through, and on the sixth day, he creates this stuff. And for the first time in history, where he has said every time, it was evening, it was morning, the, the first day, it was, it was the second day, it was the third day, and it is good. And God looks down and he creates man. And you know the story. He breathes into man. And the reason he breathed into man is because man needed a soul. And he got the soul of God at that moment. And whether God really breathed into him, I I don't know how it all worked. And truthfully, I don't care. I don't think that's what the poet is telling us. He wants us to know that God built you differently. And when he did, for the very first time in history, he says, it is not good. For the very first time in recorded history. God builds all these things, and then he builds man, and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. He'll never know what to wear. And as we go through this list, God just keeps building more and more complicated, amazing things. You know where I'm going, women, don't you? So what's next on the list? Yeah. And God says, what should we call this? And Adam goes, whoa, man. Okay, woman. Got it. And he made woman. And in that moment, he created something that is even beyond anything here. We can't even talk about it. We've been trying to sing songs about what men and women deal with. We've been trying to figure out what love is and this connection. We still can't figure this out because it was never intended to be figured out. But it happened here. And then God did something that he intends for you to do, for me to do. He took a day, and after he created all these things, he said, all right. Somebody get me a DJ. It's time for a soul rest. It's time for a break. Somebody get me a rest. And, and the truth is, he actually had to make people rest at some point in history. And you'll see why. I'm going to tell you this in a little bit. In the, so hang with me, please. Please hang with me today. i got a lot to say. But as we get towards the end, you're going to see what God did about resting because it is so important. He actually told people how to rest. So God takes this big rest. And in that moment, at the end, in, in this, this, this book, this incredible poem which is what this is we get an understanding not only of who god is and how things may have started but who we are more importantly who we are the most important thing that god created if you were here last week you know that all the things that god created we've been looking at trying to see how big these things are all the way down to how small we're going to look at how small things are even today and and all of that you are the most important you are the point to god so he rests And the poet says this, God stands outside of you. Aren't you glad? See, the thing about God is you don't want God to stand outside of you until things go really bad. What you want is, he wants God to look like you, and that's why you paint the picture of him in a beard with a staff. You want God to look like you. You want God to think like you. You want God to act like you. You want God to have the same thing that you have, so when you see your grandma dying in the hospital, you feel something for her, and you want him to feel something for her, so that he fixes everything right there, and you want to feel, and it makes you mad that he doesn't feel like you feel, but the truth is, when things get bad, you don't want God to feel like you. You don't want God to think like you you don't want God to act like you you want God to be God to be in control and so the beginning 
of all of you. And the problem with me and with you when it comes to not being able to live in the moment and not being able to get our wonder back is that we forgot that God stands outside of us. He stands outside of us physically in space. Now here's where it's going to get weird and here's why I brought the whiteboard. This is going to be really fun. I'm going to lose some of you and some of you are going to go, wow, I got it. And it's worth it, okay? So, so first, God stands outside of us in terms of space, okay? And I've been reading a lot. I've been studying a lot. There is a theory uh, that's, that's called the flatland theory. And the thought is this, and it, it, this is just an illustration. I don't know. I, I don't really know much more than I think it's a really good illustration. The idea is that flatlands are two-dimensional, and if, if, this, if this square right here, this, this flat piece of thing, represents the world we live in as humans right now, there's really only two dimensions, right? There's height, so we'll call that H. Height goes this way, and width goes this way. So there's really only two dimensions if we live on this flatlands, in this world. Now what's interesting is, I can have one guy over here, I'll give him some crazy hair, and I can have one guy over here, or one girl. We'll just make her a girl just so that everybody feels represented. I can have one guy, one girl. I can have two different kinds of people. And is that, that's beard, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So we've got a man and a bearded woman. And, and I, here's what I want you to think. Now stick with me for a second. They are in flatlands. They can only see things from one perspective. They really only can see things that have height, or width. So if they were, for instance, to look at this marker right here, if they were in flatlands, this man and this bearded woman, they would look at this marker and they would say, somebody would say, what shape is that marker? And if they were looking at it like this and they lived there, they would say, that is a rectangle. Can you nod your head and tell me you're awake? That's a rectangle because I can only see two dimensions. So this, this guy right here is the kind of guy who just believes in what he sees. You know that? The, the science-based guy. I only believe what I see. And he says the only thing there really is in life are squares or rectangles, same kind of thing, or circles. Because in 2D, that's really all I can see is a square or a circle. This guy sees more circles. This guy might see more squares. But this guy believes it's either a square or a circle. But here's the thing. God lives outside of flatlands. He doesn't see things in two dimensions. So look at this. He says, you see a rectangle, but what do I see? Watch this. It's a circle. Because God sees outside of it. Now I'm hoping you're making this application for yourself. If you're not, you can fall asleep for a second. I'll wake you back up in a minute. So God, we see this in the flatlands. We see a rectangle, and we go, hey, 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 God, is this a square or a rectangle or a circle? And God goes, yep. It's a square and a circle. And, and these guys go, oh gosh. What now? No, it's either got to be a square or a circle. And then you get this guy, and maybe he's a little more faith-based. Maybe he just feels like there's got to be more. And, he, and when he looks at this, he goes, you know what? I see a rectangle, but I feel like there's got to be more. I feel like there's a circle in that rectangle somewhere. And this guy goes, well, you're just an idiot. You've got to get rid of that God stuff. You've got to get rid of the mysticism. You've got to get rid of that feeling and faith stuff because all we know is what we can see. And this guy goes, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true. I think there may be more than we can see. So God 
comes into flatlands. And he gives you just enough for you to be able to get around. But he doesn't want you to see everything because it would blow your mind. And I'm just going to take a little bit of a right step for a second here. Because here's the problem with being right all the time. If you're a Christian here today, by the way, that's what people think of us. If they're not Christians, they think that that's our most important thing is to be right. This guy who can only see squares and circles and only believes in what he sees and not what might be more, he sees right angles all the way. That's why he's right all the time. There's right angle, right angle. I'm four times righter than everybody else. I know what I see, and I'm right all the time. No matter what anybody else says, I know what is right. And this guy goes, yeah, but I don't think we see everything. When Jesus came, you know who he was? He was this guy. He said, you guys got to stop looking at squares and circles and thinking that's the answer to everything. You got to stop looking at people and saying, I know how you should live. I know what you should do. I know what God means. I know what God said because you're looking at this and God's got so many dimensions that you don't have a clue. So Jesus would say things like this, stop judging people because you can't see things from all perspectives. You only see things from two perspectives. So don't you judge because when you think you're right there's also another perspective to that and god might be judging you that's a scary thing and people said yeah but jesus jesus is it rules or faith that get us into heaven is it is it is god is god most interested in rules square or is he most interested in our faith and just freedom and jesus goes yep yeah, but, but Jesus, what about, this is a real churchy word, by the way. I'm about, into, I'm about to get into church ease if you've been around church. Is it predestination or is it free will? Jesus, did God know already who was going to accept God or do we have the free will? As, hey. Yep. So I'm hoping you remember this moment if you grew up believing that everything was either a circle or a square because you only see two dimensions god lives outside of space out of the space you live in god lives outside of time i gotta move because i don't um god lives completely outside of time see here's you and me we are stuck in time right now and this gets really existential existential right now so i'm gonna ask you to stick with me again god lives outside of time but this is gonna be really really comforting for you if you're dealing with a struggle right now in your life because you are stuck in time you are what's on uh, what's called a linear stuck path you can go one direction and that is forward you can't go back in time even with the way back machine that's just pretend in the cartoon you can't go back you can't go to the side you can't go to this side you can only go forward in time but god is not stuck in time like you are so at one point god goes to a group of people and he goes to one man and he says i want to rescue these slaves out of Egypt. There's a whole community of people who have lived their life and their kids grow up and they're all slaves and I have a heart for them and I want to rescue them and I want you to go get them. And Moses, after an argument back and forth with God, he didn't want to be the man, finally he decides, okay, I'll go. He says, God, who should I tell them you are? Because they don't know you. Who should I tell them you are? And here's what, this is awesome, by the way. I think it's awesome. I don't care whether you do or not. <laughs> Moses says, God, who should I tell them you are? And God says this in Hebrew. 
Hiya. And it doesn't have anything to do with karate. He says, Hiya. And it means something we can't completely understand, but the, our best translation is tell them, I am. And Moses goes, All right, that clears that up. <laughs> So when they ask, who's rescuing us? Who is parting the Red Seas for us? Who is going to get us out of this life that we never thought we could get out of? What you want me to tell them is I am? That is your name? The guy goes, yeah. But here's what it means in Hebrew. It means I am always. I have always been. I am the only thing that ever was and is and will always be. I am. And if God is, you know what that means? You're not. So, if, I'm going to use my marker a lot today. If this represents your lifetime, remember, you can only go this way. You're stuck in time. If this marker right here up represents your lifetime, and the beginning of it is the day you were born, and then like there's some milestones, you know, you get, you get your marriage, the Cubs lose a lot, you know. Ugh then you die. And that is your life. What you can do is only see what's happened and maybe what's going on right now. God, now look at this. Watch me. Wake up for a second because this will change the way you see God and your life. God is not stuck in time because he is. He is outside of it. And he can go, huh, yeah. Yep. So when he goes, Susie, Susie doesn't have what she thinks she needs right now. Oh, no. What's going to happen? God goes, oh, no. What's going to happen to Susie? No, he doesn't. He goes, yeah, there it is. Right there. So, Susie, hold on. Because I got this. You, t- you can't. You, you're only going this way. You can't even do any. Look, I got it. See? I got it right here. And while he's looking at my marker, he's still looking at yours. So if my marker's over here, and your marker's over here, and he starts to look at it, and he goes, hey, this guy needs something that this guy has. What if I just kind of like, hmm, you know, oh yeah, look at that. It's going to match up just about perfect. And then you go, hey, you guys won't believe who I met yesterday. And guy goes, yeah, that's a coincidence, wasn't it? (laughs) Because the God that created you is not going to bend his will Because you are nervous about the future. He's going to make you feel better about the future. But he knows what's next. And that's the God you want. He stands outside of time. He stands outside of understanding. We cannot understand God. And don't just say that to your kids. Don't just say when they say, Dad, how does that happen? I don't know, that's just how God made it. Don't just say that. Dig in with them. Get in with them. Because if you don't, it just becomes this trite thing. We say, well, if God understands it, nobody else does. That's not enough. Look at this. I'm going to hit this really hard and really fast, or my wife's going to be mad at me today. Understanding, we have a crazy world. Science is amazing. And by the way, when it comes to squares and circles, <laughs> you, you might be, if you're a real conservative Christian, you may be saying, oh, religion is squares and science is circles, and God goes, yep, both, please. Because <laughs> they're both right and we need them both. Science is amazing, and it's getting us closer and closer to God, and it's amazing stuff, and we do not reject it as Christians. 
We embrace it and we love it. And we watch us get closer to God and understanding what He does. But there are some things we will never figure out. It's an amazing thing um, when, when you start looking at how big the earth is. But the truth is, it's even more amazing to think about some things. Okay, here you go. Scientists have found a planet that is spinning at 67,000 miles an hour. They found a planet that's rotating 1,000 miles per hour. And against all odds, it is sustaining human life. It's called earth, and you're on it. So that's why you need to wear a seatbelt. It is a big blue and green thing spinning through the universe. And it, is, it has life. And I don't know about aliens. I don't care about aliens. But the truth is, what I believe when it comes to Genesis is that God has dialed in things perfectly for human life. And here's what I mean. If you have faith issues like I do, this is going to be a big moment for you, okay? I've got some numbers up here, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with these. 92. The earth is 92 million miles from the sun. Now, check this out. That's a long way. Yeah. That's longer than like Bloomington with all the construction going on on 37 right now. 92 million miles away. Check this out though. If it were 91.5 million miles away, no life on earth. If it were 92.5 miles away, million miles away, no life on earth. It's like something has dialed in 92 million miles. But that's not it. 23.5 that's the axis that the earth is on right now you are all the rest of the planets in the solar system are like this earth like that just 23.5 degrees and 24.5 degrees i bet you know where i'm going no life on earth 22.5 degree tilt in the earth no life on earth. It's as though somebody has tilted the earth. In fact, he has. Check this out. Here's my next dial. 40 and 60. The sun, which is 92 million miles from us, pulls the earth at a 40% of the gravitational pull that we have is pulled towards the sun. Okay? Just perfect. And our moon, which scientists say are a big rock that, that, that just got stuck in our solar system, which is like the cosmo- cosmological equivalent of like Okay, (laughs) the moon's going around us right now. And as the moon goes around us, it takes 60% of our gravitational pull. It pulls us to that axis. 40% from the sun, 60% from the moon. If one of those was 42 and the other one was 58, guess what? You're getting this. You could preach this. No life. Last one, I promise. 21%. 21% is the percentage of oxygen that is on planet earth if it was 22 if it was 19 so it's though someone and by the way i only gave you the four that i understand okay (laughs) scientists say there are at least 100 maybe as many as 200 of these fine tuned things that make earth sustainable for life it's as though somebody something some being is turning these dials. Like this one, we're going to put that one right about 92. This one's going to go at 23.5. This one's going to go at 21%. This one goes about right here. And what's the more amazing thing is out of all the hundreds of these things that, that God, Elohim, Barah, 
Out of all of those things that he has done, he has turned them all perfectly. And that's not even the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing is that scientists say, out of all of those hundreds of things, if one of them was turned just a little bit, it would render all the rest of their accuracy worthless. All it would take is one little thing, and there would be no life on earth. And you thought you were in charge. See, now I did that pretty quick. So the, the world, the big world, is crazy. We'll never understand it completely. The small world is crazy too, the meson. There's this little thing called a meson. And what scientists thought was, if we can just like find, just find what things are made of and just keep making it smaller and smaller and smaller until we finally find what everything is made of, then we'll know how things are made and maybe we'll be able to make things the way they were made from the beginning. So it's awesome. It's like God just lets us keep finding more things and we're like, ah! And the more we find out, the more we're like, I don't have any idea. So what we did was we split an atom, these little tiny things that we thought when I was in high school, when I was in junior high, it was everything is made up of atoms. You remember that? And, and that is true to some extent, but what scientists found out was that's not all. Atoms are made up of something. So they split it, and they found these things called quarks and mesons and leptons. And these mesons, and I'm not giving you a science lesson today, but I kind of am because it's amazing. These mesons are these magic little things that scientists cannot, these quantum physicists who are a lot smaller, smarter than you and me, they cannot figure how they work. These mesons... They appear and disappear in a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. They have no idea why they appear, where they came from, or where they're going. They're just there and they're gone. The, uh, the next one is the cork. They're like telepathic somehow. I, I don't understand it. The, you can put one in, and the, the scientist that found it said, I could put one in New York, I could take this, this cork, I could split it in half, I could put half of it in New York City, I could take the other one, take it to San Francisco, and then I put a charge, an electrical charge on the one in New York, and I spin it to the left. Simultaneously, without me doing anything, the one in San Francisco starts spinning to the right. No idea how or why. We don't have a clue. It's an amazing small world. It's an amazing big world. And right in the middle, next slide, Tanya, right in the middle are humans. The average human, if you t- consider babies and people all over the world, is about three meters. If the biggest part of things we know is about 10 to the 27th power and the smallest is about 10 to the 26th, 27th power, you are right in the middle of the things that God created. And there's a reason for that. Exodus chapter 20. God is talking to Moses. I love this. I totally love this. God is talking to Moses and he says, Moses, come up to the mountain. Come up to the mountain. And then he says this weird thing. If you've got a Bible or you, you read a lot, you've probably missed this. Because in the translation in English uh, doesn't quite do it. But Moses, it, it, God says this. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me into the mountain and remain. In English, if we really literally translate it, it would sound like redundant. It would sound like, Moses, come up to the mountain and be on the mountain. <laughs> but it sounds redundant, so we don't say it that way. But that's a really more an accurate translation. And if you were a Hebrew, you would know what God means by that. You would know what he's saying is, come up to the mountain and just be. And whatever I've said that bored you, would you come back for a second? Because this is too big. God says, Moses, come up to the mountain. And if this is our mountain, 
We know this is the way you live life. This is the way I live life. This is the way Moses lived life. He climbs up the mountain. And about the time he gets to the top of the mountain, what's he start thinking about? What path he's going to get to come down the mountain, right? And God goes, hey, don't do things with me like you do things with life. Moses, come up to the mountain and just be for a moment. Just be. Some of you can't do that right now. You've developed such a bad habit that you can't just be. When Jesus said to the kids, let the children come to me, and by the way, if you want to be, like, be where God is, you need to be like them. You know what children do? They just be. What are you doing, Reese? Nothing. Yeah, but you're doing that. Yeah, I'm just being. That's what wonder is. It's just being. He tells Moses, go to the top of the mountain and get your wonder back. Just be. The problem is we have human beings have become human doers instead. And we're a lot more interested in becoming human doing than we are in, doing, in being human beings. I messed that one up really bad. But you know what I'm saying. And it comes from a long, long time ago. This is the way God built us. It's in us. If we're not careful, we become so enamored by doing that we forget to be. And it started with the Hebrews. So here's what happened. It started probably long before that. But we first see it with the Hebrews. God went to these Hebrews and he said, you are slaves. Yeah, no kidding, God. This group of people, and you know, when we say slaves, we don't even think about the kind of slaves that we're talking about here. We're talking about working seven days a week and not just with hours like you get up in the morning and you clock in and you clock out and you go home and you eat dinner. You work as a slave in ancient Egypt. The Hebrews would work until they couldn't stand up physically every day. And then they would go home in the evening, lay in bed, cry. And then they have babies. And the babies would have to do whatever they could do. And as they grew up, six-year-old son has to work all day long. No time to be, only to do. And it creates a culture. It creates this culture of people who are not only addicted to doing, but all of their worth is surrounded by doing. And so, in fact, in this culture, all, all you would make if you were a Hebrew was bricks. That's what you would do, most likely. You'd be making bricks for Egypt. You want to know how amazing the pyramids are? You know who built the pyramids? Not the Egyptians. The Hebrews. One brick at a time. And that's what they did. Not only is that what they did, but that's what their grandpa did, and that's what their grandpa, his grandpa did. And that's just what you did. You were just a brick maker. And you were only as good as you, as many bricks as you could make in a day. So you'd have a quota, and then you were only worth however many bricks you could make in a day. And when God delivered the Egyptians, or the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, out of Egypt, He said to them, I want you to be free. And they got out of Egypt. And this is an amazing story, and you've got to hear that story. They're still telling it, been telling it for thousands of years. The story of God taking this group of people and liberating them. And that word liberation, I want you to hear today, because God wants to liberate you too. And what happened was, all the Hebrews left Egypt. And they didn't have to make bricks anymore, but their hearts were still bricklayers. 
They were still consumed with thinking about their worth being wrapped up in how they did things. And so they still couldn't change the way they lived inside. They may have been free outside, but they were in chains mentally. Men could not sit. Because the moment they sat and just enjoyed their family, they began to feel like they weren't worth anything. So God said, and we've messed this up. God said to a group of people who have a serious problem with doing instead of being, He said, you will take a day, just one day. You will take one day every week and do something that feeds your soul. They called it the Sabbath. If you're not doing it right now, you need to know you're missing out on the flow, on the ebb, on the way God does life. Even God does it this way, and he's built you to do it this way. You need one day to do something that feeds your soul. So people start living this way, and it starts changing them. And God says, you know what? Not only that, I want you to have seven times a year where you have parties, and one of them is eight days long. And God said, you will party. Somebody get me a DJ. Bring it in here. We are going to party seven times a year, every year. Maybe more than that, but at least. And I'm going to command you to do it because it is that important to you. So if somebody comes over to my house on a Friday night and we're partying, what are you doing? I'm obeying God, baby. We are partying. This is who God calls us to be. This is what creates the wonder in us. And let me tell you the antithesis. It's your preacher. You know what I realized? This happened to me. This is the reason I started this sermon series. About a month ago, I was sitting with Reese on the floor. We were doing something. And I heard him say, Dad, Dad, Dad! I thought, wait, is Reese developing a stutter? Like, what, what is this? And then Linda comes in and she goes, Hey, Dad, Dad, Dad! Like, what are you guys doing? And I almost said something because it was really annoying me. And then I realized the whole time we were playing together, anytime they wanted to get my attention, they'd do this. Dad, Dad, Dad! Hey, Dad, Dad, Dad! Like, what, what, what? <laughs> and I realized I, I know why. Because they know this about their dad. That dad can be there and be somewhere else entirely. And it takes at least three times to get dad here. You ask me right now what I want from my life? Not even on the list is my job in Bloomington. It's my son. It's my daughter. But I've become a doer. I've become a brick maker. And I'm free. I think you have too. If you haven't, then I'm so sorry. You can go back to sleep. But my guess is the anxiety that you feel comes from trying to be somebody you were never meant to be. You want the wonder back? You do it God's way. You find a day every week, but I'm too busy. Really? I'm too important? Yeah, really? You find a day to do something that feeds your soul. And, you know, if you want to live like the Hebrews, find seven days on your calendar. Make a party out of it. And get the wonder back. Band, you guys can come up. You've got to stop me. 
Kelly, can you go back and get Rick? And Today, I'm going to ask you if you would stop making bricks long enough to re-wonder. Some of you are retired, but you're still making, you still feel like you have to be constantly doing something. When you're with the people that you love, when you're with the people that you need, when, when, when you're with the people that you really want to do life with, it, you, you're somewhere else. You're thinking about something else. You're doing something else. Maybe you, don't even, maybe you don't even have a full-time job. Maybe that's not what I'm talking about. Maybe what I'm really talking about is that you can't be fully present enough to enjoy the things that God has given you and wonder and awe just a little bit. Jesus would come to earth. This is my favorite part about being a Christian. If, if you can get rid of the religion, I love being a Christian because I love the human that Jesus was. He came to the earth, and this, is his, this was his message. Everybody said, it's flatlands around here. And all the religious people were saying, hey, um, everything's flat, and we know what all the rules are on earth, and we know how everything goes. Everything is either a circle or a square, and if you don't do things our way, then you're wrong. And Jesus came, and this is what got him crucified, he came to all the religious people and all the people in the world, and he says, hey, you guys, I know what you see. I know what you see. I know what you see, but there's more. There's more. So stop and wonder. Stop and be in awe of what God has done and given to you. Today, I want to, often I challenge you guys, I do, I challenge you with a different way to live, with a, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that, which is probably me making squares and circles out of things. I'm trying not to do that. Today, what I, I don't want to challenge you with anything. What I want to do is say this, would you just say to God, during this song, we're going to sing this old song, would you just sing, just, just say this straight to God, would you amaze me? And here's what God will know. This is something you need to know about prayer, that you don't have to say something smart to God. You don't have to say something well-worded. You don't have to read the serenity prayer to God because he sees what's in your heart. And if you can just say this to God, we'll make this deal right now, God. All of us in this room, when we say God amaze me, here's what we mean by that. Help me get the wonder back. Help me stop and enjoy this moment. Help me get how much you love me. And the God that created all of that that we saw today and then spun the dials to exactly the right thing to sustain human life. The God who created the half of a half of a half of a cork that does weird things, that God created it all for you and stands at the door of your heart today and says, let me in. Would you do it? This is your chance. I'm going to shut up and let you and God do his thing. I'm going right back there if you need me today. Would you stand up and just sing this song just between you and God?